Welcome to the Intesa San Paolo Talks. Hello and welcome to another episode in the Intesa San Paolo Talks podcast series. And this time we're taking another look at the bank's Progetto Cultura program, which works to protect, preserve and promote Italian art and culture. And to do that, we've come to London and the National Gallery, where Intesa San Paolo is sponsoring a major exhibition of the work of a 17th century Italian artist commissioned by kings and acclaimed around Europe. Nothing unusual, you might think, in that, except this artist was a woman, Artemisia Gentilecci, who was painting at a time when female artists obviously struggled for acceptance. We're in the Sainsbury wing of the National Gallery where this exhibition is. The exhibition is sort of laid out chronologically in sort of rooms almost related to cities where Artemisia lived. I can already see the most extraordinary painting through the doors into the first room. And I'm very pleased to have with me the curator of the exhibition, Leticia Trevers. Leticia, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for wearing a mask. I mean, we're all wearing masks now, and even to go around exhibitions. I mean, first of all, uh, this was meant to be, this exhibition, it was meant to start back in April. Yeah. And of course, it, you were hit by COVID. You must be thrilled to have finally got it on. Oh, no, I'm ecstatic. I mean, it's been quite a journey. There was a lot of excitement when the show was due to open in April and, and all the spaces were ready. We were just waiting for the paintings to arrive. Um, and it was hugely disappointing we had to delay it. But um, over the last six months, you know, we've worked tirelessly to renegotiate every loan and our lenders have gone above and beyond, really, to make sure um, that their objects could be here for the opening. And you're very kindly going to show us around. I am. So should we head off and go into this first room? Tell me about this, this first room we're going into. Sure. So the exhibition basically begins in Rome, where Artemisia was born. Um, she was born here in 1593. And she was uh, the eldest child and only daughter of Orazio Gentileschi, also a painter. And she was effectively trained alongside her three younger brothers. Um, but what's really interesting is that her training was very different from theirs because as a young unmarried woman, she couldn't sort of go freely around Rome looking at, you know, the artworks on display. So she was very much shut at home and she wasn't exposed to as much. She couldn't meet other artists. So she basically just saw her father's paintings. And did she have to behave all the way through her life as a, a differently to her male contemporaries and, and I suppose, you know, rivals? Well, I mean, I think there was certainly social constraints on women, um, not just sort of artistic ones. But um, once she left Rome and went to Florence, I think there, her life really changed. And it was the ability to join an artist's academy. Because, you know, in an academy, you were able to meet contemporary artists, you'd meet other cultural figures, you'd meet potential patrons. She had none of that in Rome. She was effectively shut away. And we're looking at a painting here, and this is her first painting, right? Well, it's the first known painting that's signed and dated. So it's a really important sort of touchstone, really. It's a kind of the beginning of her story. Um, it shows Susanna and the Elders, an Old Testament subject that was very, very common. But I think you can already see what sort of she brings to this. And I think, in a way, for me, one of the key themes of this exhibition is, is what makes her different, you know, artistically. And I think you can see that already in this picture where she brings her sort of female perspective on her subject. She's kind of at her absolute best when she treats these subjects in which there's a sort of female protagonist. Um, but she's just 17 when she paints this. I mean, it is staggering. Uh, it, it's so accomplished from a technical point of view and very like her father, Orazio Gentileschi, which is why I have a painting by Orazio in the first room. So you get a sense um, of you know, everything she's learned about painting, she learned from him. Let's, let's move on, because she, she and we 
are now heading to Florence, right? Yes, that's right. So let's move through that. I know this is a bit of a simplistic question, but how important as an artist and as a female artist in the sort of whole history of art is Artemisia, do you think? Well, I, I think it's different sort of in her own day and from our perspective. I mean, in her own day, she was, she was incredibly successful. I mean, she had a number of patrons across Europe. Her, her reputation spread across Europe. And, you know, kings as well, you know, Charles I of England, Philip IV of Spain. But, um, you know, she was essentially forgotten for centuries. And I think now she's finally sort of reaffirming her position in the sort of wider canon, not just as a, as a female artist, but sort of in the context of Italian Baroque painting of the first half of the 17th century. And of course, this is the first major exhibition of her work ever in the UK, right? It is, and it's surprising. She even came to London for a while. She joined her father. Orazio was court painter to Charles I, and she came to London in the late 1630s. So even for an artist who, you know, that in itself was pretty extraordinary for a, a woman artist to travel across Europe and, and come here. Um, but it is the first time, and it's inspired, really, by the fact that the National Gallery acquired the self-portrait of St. Catherine in 2018. That's where the idea for the exhibition came about. So, as I said, we're, we're now in the sort of the Florence room, the yeah. Florence period. Uh, there's a lot of self-portraiture, and there's one amazing painting which I want to talk about in, in a little bit. But first of all, let me introduce Anister Smart, who listeners to the Intesa San Paolo Talks podcast will know already, a London-based art critic who's had a time to have a good look around this exhibition. Now, Alistair, welcome again. Hi, Guy. Uh, what do you think? Oh, it's just spectacular to have it here. After it was on, then it was off, then there was the fear that it wouldn't come back, and now it's, it's wonderful that we'll get the reopening, or the opening, I should say. Yeah. Um, what's, what's impressed you most, do you think? Have you, have you seen much of this work before? Some of it. Um, I think I mean, we just maybe we could talk about the two pa paintings right in front of us here. Well, Judith beheading yeah. Polyphonus. So, you know, why don't you introduce them and, and, and tell us about them? Because you, you know more about this stuff than I do. <laughs> nice of you to say so, Guy. I mean, it's, it's another one of the um, biblical uh, her subjects that she returned to um, with the Old Testament heroine Judith beheading Holofernes with one of her maidservants. Is that right, Leticia? Mm -hmm. And what's the difference in time scale between the two paintings? One was painted, I understand, the year she was raped. Is that right? Well, one, almost certainly the one now in Naples, was painted at the end of her time in, in Rome. And from sort of technical evidence, it appears she probably brought a, that picture, or more likely a tracing of that picture with her to Florence to produce the second version. Very, um, very, yes, and, very and scale. I mean, the, the Naples picture is smaller in canvas because it's been actually reduced along the top and along the left. But I, I sort of brought both pictures together because I think this is one of the great highlights of the show, to have these two paintings side by side. Uh, and I'm convinced the one she painted in Florence is really a sort of showpiece for the Grand Duke, Cosimo de' Medici. You're talking there, perhaps including the, the sort of arcs of blood, the blood spurts and almost. Yeah, I mean, she go, I mean, they are so gory. But I think in the Uffizi picture, she she goes one step further, and I think this is a very kind of unique thing that she does. These arcs, but also that spatter her bodice, even her chest. You can see on her skin. But it's just she, she really imagines what it's like for a woman to have to overpower a, a, a man of sort of Holofernes' bulk. And if you look closely, with one hand she's holding his hair and you can even see the tufts of hair through her fingers. And with the other, you really feel the force of the sword. It's, it's kind of denting into his muscly arm. I mean, it's just 
it's all about the kind of physical struggle of this moment. It, it's, it, it's so vivid. And this fact that, Alistair, you said about the maidservant, you know, this is important because in the story, in the, in, in the Old Testament, she's actually outside the tent. The maidservant actually doesn't do anything. She just puts the head in a bag and she's keeping watch. But Artemisa brings her inside and she's sort of pinning him down while Judith, you know, gets underway. And, uh, and again, it's about this sort of female agency. It's about them being in it together. So, as I said, we're, we're in the Florence room in the Florence part of her life. Uh, she, she had all her children while she lived in Florence? She did. She? she had five children in five years. We have to remember that most of the time she spends in Florence, she is basically heavily pregnant. And, no, but I mean, I don't say that lightly as a working mother. Um, the sort of physical strain and financial, she is the breadwinner. Um, her, her husband is a, is a very minor painter. He's running up debts. I mean, they're living off her dowry. And we have to remember, just as her career is taking off, you know, she, she's having children one after the other. And only two of those children survive infancy and only one to adulthood. Another, a daughter who she trains as a painter. Mm. So let's move now back, back to Rome, because this is where she, she went next. That's right. Uh, nowadays, one might sort of constantly think about <clears throat> female empowerment and, and the like and everything. Was that a factor when she was, when she was painting? Was that sort of not really anything that people thought about at the time? I mean, certainly. And I think, you know, we have the evidence of her letters, particularly those she wrote from Naples towards the end of her life, where, I mean, she is a feminist before the term feminist even existed. I mean, she is constantly acknowledging the sort of disparaging attitude towards women and women painters but also challenging it. And she's absolutely determined to be considered like a man. You know, she, she wrote these famous words. She says, you know, I have the spirit of Caesar in the soul of a woman. You know, she was hard as nails. <laughs> but what I think is the, one of the brilliant things about this exhibition is it doesn't just focus on those biblical, those gory, bloody biblical narratives. We now moved into a room with some of her marvellous portraits. She was clearly one brilliant at portraits as well, wasn't she? Literally? She was, and she was actually um, known for her portraiture in, in the 17th century, and it's, it, it's not what we associate with her, and actually very few portraits by her hand exist. Um, so I felt it was quite important to bring that element into the exhibition. Um, particularly in here where we have some of her letters and in particular there's a letter written by Artemisia's husband in which he describes they've just arrived back in Rome and he says oh our house is constantly full of cardinals and princes I mean Artemisia's so busy she doesn't even have time to eat she's so busy um, you know and I thought that was quite a nice association of having these sort of noblemen in these portraits near that that sort of testimony if you like of, of how busy she is. The Intesa San Paolo Talks so we'll head off into the next room, but while we do, uh, as I said back at the beginning, this exhibition is sponsored by Intesa San Paolo. The sponsorship is the most recent example of a special collaboration between the bank's art, culture, and historical heritage department and the National Gallery here. So I asked Intesa San Paolo's Director of Cultural Marketing and Partnerships, Laurence Alicot, whether there was something about Artemisia being both Italian and a woman that made this sponsorship particularly relevant for the bank? Uh, well, uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, as you're saying, Artemisia was Italian. And she became a famous international painter in a time when it was really hard for any woman to have any kind of recognition. And definitely Italians must be very proud of her. And it is a Sao Paulo group, as during the last years, invested in important initiatives uh, promoting gender equality. Uh, for instance, it's not a surprise that Intesa Sao Paulo is one of the few Italian companies 
included in the 2020 Bloomsburg Gender Equality Index. Uh, this is an index which was launched by Bloomberg in 2018 that assesses the commitment and actions taken by major globally illicit companies in the field of gender inclusion. And why is this relationship with the National Gallery so important to you? Uh, Intesa San Paolo, through a so-called Progetto Cultura, uh, as one of the most ambitious art and cultural programs established by a financial institution worldwide. So Progetto Cultura has become increasingly international. In fact, we collaborate with some of the most important museums, such as, of course, uh, the National Gallery, uh, the Metropolitan Museum of New York, the Hermitage, Le Petit Palais, uh, and other really uh, famous, renowned cultural institutions across the world. What makes doing that so important? Why, why, do, you, why do you want to do that? Well, because uh, um, it's part of the DNA of Intesa San Paolo. It has always been. Uh, banks have always in Italy been very uh, close to uh, art and culture in general. So this is something that started with the Medici's family. So it's not something new in Italy. This is a sponsorship, but but what else do you do as, as part of these relationships with places like the National Gallery? Well, uh, uh, probably, as you know, we have uh, three museums in Italy. Uh, we have one in Naples, one in Vicenza and one in Milan. And of course, uh, we deal with other uh, um, museums so we can uh, share with them our uh, own um, paintings and they can send us, for instance, like we had in Canova, uh, we can have some of their masterpiece. So this is also a way to share culture. Is there an element of the, you know, of working with places like the National Gallery and, as you say, the, the, the Metropolitan Museum in, in New York and everything, of, of sort of promoting Italian culture around the world? Well, uh, as you can guess by my accent, uh, I'm not Italian, first of all. But I, I personally do consider Italian art and culture as a world legacy that must be spread worldwide and transferred to the next generations. I, I do think that the promotion and rediscovery of the Italian culture behind its border represents in some way a renaissance, or I would say a rinascimento in that case, especially if we want to make something good of this uh, pandemic experience, for instance. Has the pandemic had a big impact? I guess it must have done. Had a big impact on, on, on your work generally? Well, uh, uh, of course, as uh, for everyone else, uh, I guess it has been a real challenge at first, no? Uh, COVID-19 has uh, definitely flipped our lives upside down, privately and also obviously professionally. But uh, uh, on my opinion, this experience has also given a chance that really never happens in, uh, in real, real life. Uh, we can start totally blank. We can rethink things. We can change our behaviors, uh, uh, doing things that we have been doing uh, or giving for granted for uh, too much time, too long time. Uh, well, we can really uh, see our work and our life in general from another perspective. The Intesa San Paolo Talks. So that was Laurence Alico, Intesa San Paolo's director of Culture, Marketing and Partnerships. Back here at the National Gallery, Letizia Treves is still with me, as is Alistair Smart, 
uh, Letitia, we've now come through to Naples, where, where, where Artemisia went after her sort of second period in Rome. Mm -hmm. Why did she go there and what was important about her art there, do you think? She's invited to Naples by the Spanish Viceroy. And so we have to remember, you know, Naples is under kind of Spanish rule in the 17th century. And for her, I think, I think it really opened up many, many opportunities. Being under Spanish rule, it opened doors. She worked not just for the Neapolitan clientele, but also for the King of Spain. And, um, uh, and she painted on a monumental scale. And until this point, so she comes in 1630, and we're standing in front of the, the, a picture that's signed and dated 1630, the Annunciation from Capodimonte in Naples. This is her first known altarpiece. And you, know, you have to remember, until this point, none of her pictures are on view in any sort of public space. She's worked primarily for a kind of private clientele. So this is a whole new direction for her. But I think you know, this is something that Intesa San Paolo um, is working on an, on an exhibition, on an initiative, precisely looking at Artemis in Naples and sort of her relationship with these Neapolitan painters who were established in the city. And we're working closely with them on that. And that sort of naturally leads me to asking about the relationship with Intesa San Paolo, mm. sponsoring this exhibition. But as, also, as I, I said earlier, you know, there's a sort of relationship, a special relationship that you have between the, between the bank and yourselves here at the National Gallery. How important is that to you? Does it, does it help you? Or how does it manifest itself? Oh, very much. I mean, it, it is a collaboration. You know, it isn't just sponsorship. And so on a curatorial level, but also directorial level, there's a lot of toing and froing. And, you know, for some of these key Neapolitan loans, they, they, they really helped us. I mean, this incredible altarpiece of San Gennaro, so the patron saint of Naples, that comes from the Basilica of Pozzuoli, you know, has never been lent, you know, abroad, you know, and it's the first time it's being seen here in England, and it was restored, uh, you know, thanks to the sponsorship of, of Intesa San Paolo. So they've helped us enormously also, you know, by, you know, funding restoration projects and so on. So it, it's much more than just a sponsorship. Let's head on towards the end now. So there's another Naples room. This is a painting that I think I recognise. So this looks like the first painting we saw. Is that, is that Alice, or is that That's mine? It's another uh, example of Susanna and, and her elders, exa uh, exactly. Although in this case, she seems to be better draped, if, me if memory serves. There's, there's more clothing on. It's, still more t it's slightly titillating for the she fact is. that she has the more, more clothing on. She is, and I think what's interesting is in the 18th century, this picture was admired for that. The fact that she's clothed, actually, you can make out her, her naked body beneath the, the sort of shirt she's thrown over herself. But it is so different from the picture in the first room. I mean, it's much, for a start, it's sort of set along a horizontal rather than vertical. It's a much larger scale and much more theatrical in its gestures. They look like they're sort of set out on a stage. And I think, I mean, if it weren't signed and dated, you would really struggle to believe these were by the same artist. Yeah. Um, and sort of going back to sort of looking at her development, I think what's very difficult with Artemis is she essentially is a chameleon. She changes all the time. But, I, you know, it's been seen as a negative point in the past, but I really see that... You know, it's part of her kind of business acumen. She adapts according to the tastes uh, and wishes of the patrons in the cities in which she worked. And in which period would you say the influence of Caravaggio is, gr is greatest on her work? Well, she probably met Caravaggio as a young girl. Caravaggio and Orazio were, did know each other. They were acquainted. Um, they even swapped studio props. We know that. Um, but she, it is her sort of reacquaintance with Caravaggesque painting after Caravaggio's death in the 1620s when she comes back to Rome and it's the sort of height of fashion to collect these sorts of pictures that she goes back to these sort of very naturalistic uh, and forceful lighting. And it's her only candlelight picture, the Judith and her maidservant from Detroit is from that moment as well. 
So I wanted, if we can, go yeah. back right okay. back to the beginning, because there's one item we didn't talk about when we were back there, which, I, which I'd like to talk about, because one of the sort of seminal moments in, in Artemisia's life uh, was when she was 17 and she was raped by a, a fellow artist or an artist uh, companion of her father's. And you've got here, I think this is the first time it's been seen on public display. Yes. The transcript from that trial. Now, I know you, you don't want the whole exhibition to be about Artemisia's rape and, and, and everything, that it's about her art. But this is a particularly important document, isn't it? It is. I mean, it was a sort of late edition in the sense that it's not in the catalogue. But um, at the beginning of the year, the more I thought about how Artemisia's personality and her voice, actually, through her letters, was very strong in this exhibition, I felt it was quite important to see if we could borrow it. I, I genuinely didn't think they would lend it, and it's amazing to have it here. It, it is a historical document. You can see it's a sort of bundle of legal papers, and this volume contains excerpts from various trials, including Artemisia's, and it is the, the transcript of the trial, brought, you know, the charges brought against Tassi for deflowering Artemisia. And I chose to open it at the page in which she, she undergoes willingly judicial torture to basically prove that she's telling the truth. And they ask her, you know, are you ready to, 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 to prove that what you said is true? She says, è vero, è vero, è vero, è vero. It's true, it's true. She just repeats it, repeats it. And, and she's you know, actually being tortured, right? She, she is. She... So she's being tortured with the sibile, which were this system of cords wrapped around her fingers and basically tightened so that they would keep tightening until your fingers broke. But we have to remember, you know, this was the kind of mildest form of judicial torture. And in fact, the judge, if you really read closely, the judge says to the guard administering the torture, you know, he reminds her, you know, let's remember that she's just 18 and she's a girl. So be gentle, because they knew that she had to comply. But there's definitely, they're definitely sort of sympathetic to her cause. And she complies and is incredibly self-assured and poised in this, you know, transcript but then you get a sense of her spirit and her fire because whilst she's being tortured she looks at Tassi who she, this is being done in front of Tassi uh, and she says questo è l'anello che tu mi dai this is the ring that you've given me these are your promises he had of course promised to marry her and had never sort of fulfilled that and what I love is you really get a sense of her spirit even in a situation like this yeah. well that's amazing Leticia thank you so much uh, for your time thank well, you for giving us this sneak preview it's been Really a, a, an honour uh, to be here. Alistair, thank you very much for coming along as well. That was Leticia Trevis, who's a curator of this wonderful exhibition, and Alistair Smart is a London-based art critic. Um, the exhibition runs until the 24th of January, restrictions permitting, and if you can, I, I, if you can get here safely, I highly recommend it. Um, that's it for this episode of the Intensive San Paolo Talks. If you'd like to hear other episodes, then please subscribe to us using your usual podcast provider. In the meantime, thank you again, Leticia. Thank You're you, Alistair. Okay. Thank you for listening, and see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Intesa San Paolo Talks, presented by Guy Ruddle.